Hello, good day, lovely people. Welcome to the Jungle Brothers podcast, episode eight. Hey guys, uh, we've got Stanley Tam with us today, Qigong master and uh, jiu-jitsu black belt from Shanghai. Very, very cool guy. Um, I'm so glad that you you crossed paths with him, Joe. We're very lucky to have him um, today. Yeah, man. I uh, crossed paths with Stanley first at a Steve Maxwell seminar uh, last year. And since then, we've trained a bit of jiu-jitsu together, crossed paths um, a couple more times up at uh, Gracie, Sydney. And uh, we've got him running the Qigong workshop this weekend. Uh, and yeah, we got him on the podcast today. So I'm looking forward to to digging out some good knowledge. Mm-hmm. Hey, by the way, guys, if you haven't already done so, make sure you jump onto our webpage, junglebrothers.com, and download our epic ebook on mastering your handstand, the five reasons you're still struggling. On the webpage, you can also sign up for the famous Five Minute Friday email, which is just a little snapshot of all the coolest stuff that we're learning, practicing, reading, and watching that week. Get that. Um, hey, if you're here in Sydney or afar and you want to start your own strength and movement journey, you can also book a free consult with us. So just throw your details into the little box on our homepage and one of us JBs will be directly in touch to book you in and get you started on the path to gains. Come with us. Come with us. Um, don't go anywhere. Uh, Stan had a lot of cool things to say and uh, well, here's the podcast. Have a listen, folks. Enjoy, guys. Um, that's okay. We're rolling now. I think we just start, usually we have a very informal way of just rolling into the interview. Okay. While people are still mobilizing, getting their ass together. <laughs> yep. That's the usual. Everyone's running around trying to get ready. Yeah. Um, so you're traveling through at the moment? Yeah, actually my, uh, parents live in Sydney. Uh, so... Every year, yeah, I come over here a couple of times a year to visit them. Okay. But you were born in China? No, actually, um, it's kind of a long story. So my family's from Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And when I was about seven years old, I guess, uh, my family immigrated to Australia. And we actually went to Adelaide, you know, kind of like a small South Australian city or big town. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did my schooling there, and after grad school, I went to China, because that's where my family was living at the moment. And at that time, I was really big into the Chinese arts, like Chinese internal martial arts, and the uh, health exercises, etc. So I went after grad school, and yeah, time passes really quick, and I'm on my 17th year there right now. And... Yeah, been there kind of a little too long. So like this year, uh, I'm planning to relocate back to Australia. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. So since then, your parents moved from Adelaide to Sydney? Um, yeah, actually, they, my, my family moved around quite a bit. Mm. Um, my father had a job working around Asia. So like um, they moved around a bit, but they sent me to boarding school as a kid. So I pretty much stay put in, it, in one place. In the holidays, I would go to wherever they were, like Taiwan, Singapore, or China. And over there, yeah, I would do my martial arts training, and i come back to Australia and continue. But at that stage, yeah, before I started start doing jiu-jitsu, I like, took the chance to go to like, you know, wherever I was in Asia to study all the stuff I wanted to. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Which martial arts did you start off with, though, like when you were a teenager? Yeah, actually, um, when I was a kid, 
I started doing uh, Wing Chun when I saw eight from a restaurant owner from Hong Kong in okay. LA. Yeah. yeah. So he had he had a Chinese restaurant and he did uh, Wing Chun in Hong Kong. So I started with him when I saw eight. But I was just a bit young then. But uh, I was always interested in the martial arts because as a kid, like in the 80s in Australia, I was like the only, one of the only Chinese kids living yeah, in the yeah. like Adley Hills. So you had to like learn to defend yourself, right? <laughs> and yeah, so um, it was later in Taiwan, which is like Republic of China in Taipei, that I actually got my formal training in the martial arts. I was 13. And at that stage, I just wanted to learn like anything martial. So the uh, first martial art I learned um, is, in the West, it's no more as a health thing. It was the style of Tai Chi. And that's a really good teacher that I met in the park. He taught Tai Chi and a style of health uh, exercise called the Five Animal Qigong. So I started with that. At the same time, I started, uh, I did a style called like full contact, which is like kickboxing mm-hmm. at a different place near my school where I was doing like, um, I had one year of high school in Taipei actually. And at that time in Taiwan, I met uh, a teacher by the name of Mr. Wu. He was teaching Chinese internal martial arts. It was called Xing Yi. So it's an, it's an internal art based on the five elements of Chinese philosophy and the 12 animals. Very cool. Yeah, so I started doing that and then, yeah, did a lot of other things between like boxing, Taekwondo, but it was the one at that stage of my life, the Chinese internal martial arts was what fascinated me. Mm. So I did a lot of the internal styles. And then later on, um, yeah, I did a lot of that and ended up in Shanghai where I was studying with a couple of teachers there. And then I got smart and I found jujitsu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Welcome, Joe. Hey, thanks. Sorry, I'm a little bit late. That's all good. Um, uh, yeah, I just had to open that door to get a bit of airflow up here. But um, yeah, that, that was kind of interesting. We had a chat before about Jet Li films. Um, was, was, you know, Kung Fu, like the, the romantic side of it, seeing the movies and, and watching all that stuff, was that largely what pushed you towards it as a young man? Yeah, um, it was the Bruce Lee movies, like all young kids back in the day, you know, Bruce Lee was the man and... Still, he was, still yeah, is. Yeah, he still is. <laughs> Actually, I always joke. It's kind of a true joke. He's probably the only Asian that uh, the Westerners respect. Yeah, <laughs> but he was part German, right? Oh yeah, like very little. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> but yeah. We say he's like yeah Chinese. Um, yeah. So back in the day, as one of the very few like Chinese kids grew up in Adelaide, you know, I watched like some Bruce Lee movies. And back then, the movies was like very patriotic, kind of like you know like the Chinese, we aren't the sick men of Asia and stuff. And kind of as a young kid, that was really kind of like resonated with me. So that was like this patriotic thing. And yeah, so I started, wanted to do like Kung Fu, Chinese martial arts. And like it was the first movie I watched was The Fist of Fury. Still a really good movie. Is that when he fought, uh, is that when he fought Chuck Norris? No, that's The Way of the Dragon. Ah, okay. Just before that, that was uh, the movie when he was, playing like old time Shanghai fighting the Japanese. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Military movie. Um, was it? Yeah, it was, I think it was set in Shanghai in the 1920s or 30s before World War II when the Japanese occupied it. And he kicks, is that when he kicks the sign off that yeah, says yeah, yeah. no Chinese or dogs? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Actually, they, um, yeah, I heard that that sign was actually real. 
US in the park is called Fuxing Park in Shanghai, which is quite a popular park nowadays. Yeah, they actually had that beast back in that time when uh, the Qing Dynasty just collapsed. China wasn't very strong. It was like fighting amongst itself with all the warlords and the fractions and stuff. So it got quite weak and a lot of the Western countries came and divided up Shanghai. So you've got a British settlement, you've got the French concession, you've got the Japanese area, and then yeah, they just divided it up. And it's kind of like, you know, their own little city within a city. Okay. And at the time they were actually occupied entirely by those nations. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was only after like World War II and the communists came and all the, uh, when China actually took it back. So for a long time, yeah, Parts of China was actually divided, yeah. Yeah, okay. Ba- back to the fictitious world, the fist, what's Fist of Steel? Is that movie, that was the one with Jet Li? Fist, no? of, fist Steel. of Steel? No, that sounds like some low budget secret Hollywood movie. <laughs> oh, okay, that I imagined, or that I watched <laughs> yeah. at like three in the morning one time. Yeah, the one uh, Joe was talking about, the classic Once Upon a Time in China. Oof. Yes. Still the best. Actually, that's a really good movie. Very emotional, that film. Yeah, because. What's good about that movie is that um, it's just not just the action, which is really good because um, they had one of the best kind of action chronographer from Hong Kong doing the MTM fight scenes. But apart from that, what I liked was the traditional... Oh, what, was what was his name? He's a famous guy. Yu uh, uh, Ping, right? Yu Ping? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, was he, was he the guy that came out for The Matrix, Paul? I think that was yeah, his, I think, his yeah, crew. Yeah, I think so, yeah. The yeah. stunt team? Yeah, or the fight choreographer, like the fight team. Yeah, yeah, that's Which I guess right. they would have, yeah. Okay, yeah, sorry, continue. Yeah, I was just saying that that movie is good because um, what it shows, it shows a lot of the traditional side of the old Chinese culture between like, you know, the student and the master and a lot of the tradi- traditional values came out in that movie, which is different from a lot of Kung Fu movies where everyone just beat each other up and the movie finishes. Yeah, and it's like usually like a solo kind of guy just by himself kicking ass. Yeah. I remember there was a scene in, uh, and you probably correct me here because I'm, I'm probably not recollecting the film. Uh, it might have been one of the Once Upon a Time in China's, but there's a scene when like, I think Jet Li's had his ass kicked and it's like a low point in, in the story and then he kind of has his students around him and it's like, they're lifting him back up and then they're eating dinner together and they're sitting around a table and he, he, he dictates when they eat and the scene is like him saying, eat your veggies and then they eat veggies and then he's like, eat your rice and then they eat rice and it's like, it, it was a, it's just a demonstration of how disciplined they are and how much respect they have for him that they only eat when he tells them to eat. Yeah, it's kind of like the traditional learning model for all traditional things in China, whether it's Chinese medicine, martial arts, calligraphy or whatever. So in China, so it's like when your master, like your sifu is like your father. So basically he teaches you all the stuff he knows, but then you have to like, you know, show a lot of respect. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, from, from the old days, you do household chores, you're doing the groceries for him, cooking for him. A lot of the things are very different from the West. In the West, a lot of places now just pay membership and you think you're the king because you're the customer, right? And they don't respect the teacher. But a lot of the traditional martial arts way also teaches you, like, you know, stuff outside your training, how to behave, how to be humble. Yeah, that was something interesting you said to me the other day um, about 
kung fu and how yeah you switched to jujitsu, but that you see, I think you said you see kung fu as more of a cultural study. Could you talk a bit about that? Yeah. So before jujitsu, I added up. I probably spent around sixteen years doing the Chinese arts and stuff. So when I was a kid, I liked the combat side, the martial arts side, but you know, in my experience. Chinese martial arts is more of a cultural art. It's more of a philosophy. So actually, a lot of Chinese martial arts. I know a lot of people disagree, but you know, it's actually like a very beautiful philosophy behind it. And a lot of it is very good for your health. Piece of like mobility work. You put yourself in like in a lot of uh, awkward positions that you get used to. It's very good for your health and agility and stuff. Um, of course, it's, if you go to a traditional school, you don't have the like, you know, the ethics and the morals, etc. But you know, I go into jujitsu because, like, you know, I wanted something combat effective, and there's no arguing. Like in the this is the post UFC days, it's like you know, <laughs> it's the real world. You know, you know what works, what doesn't work. So, I like jujitsu for its effectiveness, the how we can actually train live every day which is different from the traditional Chinese martial arts training, where all the traditional styles are pretty much all form-based, which is like a dead pattern. But the thing is that a lot of piece of MMA as well, it has its good side, but in my opinion, the bad side is that it became too much of a sport, and then a lot of the traditional values, the good stuff, you know, character building, a lot of like, you know, being humble, being modest, and, respect for your teachers, respect for your training partners. It's kind of gone the door. It's kind of like, oh, I'm the best. Let's put some heavy metal music on and I'm just switch teams if I see a personal benefit, you know. That's the stuff I don't like. So I think it'd be good if we can combine the combat effectiveness of the alive martial arts with the traditional values of the old arts. That's nice. That's, I agree. I am... Um yeah, I think we've all experienced like jujitsu academies and that's kind of the cool part. There's a lot of academies that have different cultures and different, um, different forms of etiquette. Um, and I know I've been to some over the years where there's just zero fucking etiquette whatsoever. And it's, it's kind of the looseness of it is sort of nice, but then the discipline of it is, is a bit lost. And I, I do always come back to combat training be it jiu-jitsu or anything else, you know, Paul and I talk about this a lot, that it, you know, it's a bit of a metaphor for, for life and how you can live your life and you learn valuable lessons through that type of training. So if you don't have the discipline side attached to it, you kind of miss out on all of these, on this education, right? Mm. Yeah, I agree. Especially for young people and adolescents, um, such a great tool for self-development. I know I went through that. I haven't and done a lot of BJJ training, but uh, yeah, I found it. It helped me a lot with self-development. Coming from a team sports background where uh, you can hide in victory and defeat. Um, yeah, it's just the discipline required because you have to turn up and you're the only person there. But yeah, I've got an, an old school kind of perspective on, on the whole discipline and respect thing. You know, you hear a lot of stories, people, you know, jumping between clubs or whatever, but yeah, I don't know, it's, it, it's evolved so quickly. So I think it's still trying to fight, still trying to land 
on, on, on its feet at the moment. That's just, yeah, my observation. It has a special kind of, uh, like jiu-jitsu, I guess, has a special flavor in that regard too because it's like a Brazilian thing. But, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, obviously, we're, we're talking about, um, you know, so it's like there's a whole kind of Brazilian culture that goes with it, which is mm. very easygoing and very cool and very friendly. And, um, you know, it's sort of a little bit, it evolved from the streets and that kind of a thing. So it's very tough as well. Yeah, you know, and I, and I think that's kind of the appeal of it for mm. a lot of people. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, because a lot of the traditional Asian martial arts, we're talking about the good parts, but then at the same time, yeah, it's a bit too extreme. What, when I first started Jiu-Jitsu, what attracted me and what I liked was that, yeah, the easygoing thing, you know, everyone with friends on the mat. But then, like, it's kind of like the balance of the yin and yang. You can't go too much on one side. If you go too, like, super strict, or, like, you know, super, like, old school on one side, you know, it's too rigid. And, yeah, it doesn't feel good to go in an environment like that every day, right? But if it's too loose on the other side, then a lot of the discipline and the, like, you know, the good behavior goes out the window as well. So I think like, we need a bit of both. But I think that's the challenge you know, for like, the higher belts and the instructors of the academy to create a mat culture where you've got good balance of both. Yeah. It comes down to gym for gym. Every gym is kind of different depending on the leaders, I suppose. Yeah, that's what I call mad culture, right? It's very mad important. Mm. They instructed the senior students, you know, they lead the culture of the academy. A lot of this intangible stuff. That's, the, that's actually, in my opinion, because, yeah, I ran a school in Shanghai for a long time. And, you know, a lot of people come in from overseas and everything, and everyone enjoy themselves. And they're surprised that even in China, you know, they have, have such a good time training jiu-jitsu. You know, a lot of it, you know, I attribute it to, like, you know, the mad culture that we've developed. The what you know, culture? The mat culture. Oh, mat. Yep. Yeah. Like the Tommy mats. Yeah. So it's not something that happens overnight. You know, mm. it takes years and years of, you know, ingrain it from the top to the bottom until everyone has this kind of like unspoken rule, mm, mm. unspoken culture that, you know, that makes the place really nice, cool, friendly, but, you know, also like respectful, you know, yeah, respectful and not careless. It happens in every little interaction day in, day out how you react to how something may have happened on the mat as a, as a leader. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So once you do that as, a, as an instructor and so the higher belts do that, you know, the lower belts see you it's a standard. take an example, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they start doing that as well and they pass it on and that's how, you know, things get passed mm. on. Can you tell us a little bit about your academy? Uh, yeah, so um, my school in Shanghai is called uh, Shanghai Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy. Not very creative, right? The name. <laughs> but... Yeah, when you start Jump. out, yeah, we were the, we're the first ones there. So the, the name, you know, we just took it, Shanghai Fuck BJJ. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So we just, uh, yeah, in short, we just known as HHBJJ now. Uh, so you have the tattoo on your inner arm there? Yeah. On the oh, awesome. bicep. is that the awesome. logo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like a, it's like a communist soldier in a gi. <laughs> it's great. Has he got his uh, index finger up? Yeah, one of my uh, good friends, some of the uh, guys who started the academy in, uh, formalized the academy, I should say, in Shanghai. Yeah, he's a designer and designed this. So it's based on like a Chinese communist soldier from the Mao era wearing a gi. Cool. Yeah, so... Uh, a little, uh, for those of our, our listeners who don't practice jujitsu, the gi is the, the uniform that we wear, which is like a, a judo-style kimono, big, heavy cotton thing that you can use to grip and throw and 
kind of looks like pajamas. Maybe explain what we're looking at because I guess they can't see it either. Oh yeah, so inside of the bicep, you got a triangle there. Is that a black belt that the triangle yeah. is formed from? Um, uh, it's, 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 a, it's just a soldier, yeah, it's a triangle around, yeah. Okay, nice. Maybe we can yeah. post a picture up. On yeah, it. we'll put a picture up on the show notes. <laughs> Done. Nice. Yeah, continue on with that. Yeah, so um, we're, the f we're uh, pioneers of jiu-jitsu in Shanghai. At that stage, there was uh, only one other school in Beijing, and we were the only one in Shanghai. So like what happened, I guess, in America back in the early 90s or the late 80s, uh, it was a bunch of friends. We got together and we started training. We rented a space from a kung fu school uh, several times a week, and we just chucked some mats down, and we just all beat each other up with no rules. Um, then, yeah, so it just kind of grew organically, and then uh, one step led to another, and it became like a formal school with uh, you know, a full-time facility. And since then, we moved from like, you know, a small facility into a bigger space. And yeah, it kind of really kicked off. In the beginning, uh, when we started over 10 years ago, it was mainly expatriates, like basically Westerners working in Shanghai. They're the only ones who knew what Jiu-Jitsu was, right? And yeah, most of the students were like Westerners training. We had a couple of Chinese students, but all like kind of came and left. We've got a couple that stayed, but they were in a minority. But now if you go into the school, it's actually mostly local Chinese people. Cool. I think through the internet and everything, people got to see what jiu-jitsu is about and they and all start training. So how did you come across jiu-jitsu? And was it Brazilian jiu-jitsu from the start from you or? Yeah, so it's another um, story for twist. So as I mentioned earlier, I was into like, the Chinese internal arts. That's mm. what made me like stay in Shanghai to get job after grad school so I can keep training, you know, my uh, Kung Fu styles. But um, I've always wanted to learn Jiu-Jitsu even as a young kid. But back in the like, early 90s, outside of American Brazil, there was nothing. Because like, when I was a kid reading like, a Black Belt magazine, I saw one of those early Gracie in action ads. Got two dudes all bloodied up fighting on the beach. Somehow, I fell into the marketing put up by you know, Horian. It looked pretty authentic. It looked like a real fight. You know, because when you do all the, some of the traditional arts, even as a kid, you kind of knew something was missing. It wasn't, you know, very combat-based as it You didn't feel like you could be. Yeah. go out and kick ass yeah, necessarily. No. Yeah, I still can't, but no, that's the story. <laughs> Bullshit. But, but anyway, yeah, I saw that and it looked real, real, but that's no place to learn. So, yeah, so ironic when I went, went to China to study uh, Chinese martial arts. Uh, there was a place at the time uh, ran by a, a Canadian uh, man, a great man called... Uh, Paul, he had this uh, Jikindo group. Yeah, so it was a JKD training group, and they, uh, it was called Shanghai MMA. And um, at that time, there was a purple belt who was a shooter champion in Japan, a British guy. His wife is Chinese, so he moved to Shanghai, and he started teaching uh, jiu-jitsu at this uh, MMA JKD place. And I saw one of the classifieds or something, I thought, oh, cool, jiu-jitsu, finally after all these years. So I went there to start training. And then uh, after like a couple of years, you know, a lot of foreigners come and go. And that's when, uh, long story short, uh, I invited my uh, instructor, who's still my current instructor, Tony Aguado, uh, from Florinopolis, Brazil. He came over to China and he lived in China for six months. And then so the Jiu Jitsu started to get formalized then. So we started like, you know, Shanghai BJJ. 
and we started training and every year we would come back and help grade the guys and then yeah it just led on from there and then after a couple of years of Chinese martial arts I just focused fully on jiu-jitsu and never looked back what age were you when you started with jiu-jitsu uh 26 yeah okay. like everyone says I wish I was younger but that's how it works out <laughs> to be yeah of course um and so you're now a black belt you've yep. been so for quite a while uh I've been training for jiu-jitsu for around 13 years. Yep. Yeah, so I've been a black belt for about three years. Yeah, it took me like, yeah, 10 years. I'm way too black. And I believe you, have, you were the first in China, first homegrown? First homegrown, yeah, homegrown. Yeah, that thing's very sensitive because I'm ethnically Chinese, but I'm not local mainland Chinese. Yeah, okay. So I can't say I was the first kind of like mainland Chinese, I can say, yeah, but I'm the first homegrown guy from that started as a white belt in China and got his black belt. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I guess you, you fit into that somewhere in between sort of minority, right? Where you maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you go to China, you don't feel like you're completely from there. But then when you come here, you don't feel like you're completely from yeah, here. Yeah, actually, you're, ex- you're, you're right. I was just thinking about that the other day. Because, yeah, I come here, although I kind of like grew up here, but, you know, you still got the... Chinese face and people think, oh, they always ask you where you're from and stuff, you know. <laughs> of course, I, I, yeah, of course I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I've, got, I've got some Asian friends who were like born here, they don't speak like Chinese, but they look Asian, right? And is, people still ask a, them. Is that a backhanded shout out to Owen? Uh, yeah, he's one of them as well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, people always ask them where they're from. But then, yeah, why go to China? Yeah, I'm, because my family's from Hong Kong, I grew up overseas. So it was, it's like, you know, you're not really from there too yeah so we kind of like you know the unwanted kid, kids of the world yeah yeah kind of like that yeah that, that's cool i think my uh yeah my girlfriend's family has a little bit of that you know both of her parents were born in china or hong kong and then came over here and then you know so culturally there's like two sort of you know different pull uh, you know they're getting pulled to two different areas i guess yeah i'm su- yeah i'm surprised you uh, asked this question Shows you're very multicultural. Uh, thank you, man. Yeah, we need to make our own country sometime, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Open borders, bro. Yeah. That's the policy. All right, that's cool. So tell us a little bit about, um, like, sort of fast forward to now and your many years' experience with jiu-jitsu. You do a lot of work with Steve Maxwell. I think a lot of our listeners are familiar with his work. Could you talk a bit about that? Yeah, so uh, uh, Steve, he's like uh, a mentor for me in the health, fitness, kind of life area, you know, super great guy and a great friend as well. Um, yeah, so I met uh, Coach Steve probably around six, seven years ago when I attended one of his kettlebell certifications in New York. And we kind of stayed in touch since, and uh, he came to China a few times, he got in touch and he wanted to do seminars in China. Uh, so my wife and I, we set up uh, seminars for him and he's been coming back uh, every year for about three years now to China. And yeah, we developed a great relationship yeah, he, and he's, when it comes to health and fitness, you know, he's the man. He's got like over 50 years of uh, experience. And I don't think there's a question on health and fitness that he can't answer. So, yeah, so um, we, con- we plan to keep bringing him back to China to share his knowledge with uh, the Chinese audience there. Because, like, in China, a lot of the uh, younger people, they're really getting into kind of like the Western uh, health modalities. And yeah, Steve just, I think he just left Australia. He was doing an Australian tour and I was with him in Brisbane and Sydney, um, you know, assisting him and going to his uh, seminars. 
which mm. is always a learning experience. Yeah, I haven't been to one yet. Man, you should. You definitely learn something. He comes here every year? Yeah, he does. He spends a lot of time in Sydney, actually. Where does he, where does he hang out? Where does he stay when he's here in Sydney? Is there like, I know a lot usually of people usually go to Bondi or something? Or? Usually the city. He stays okay. through, around the city circle. Ah, because he works a lot with John from Woolloomooloo at higher, higher Jiu-Jitsu, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he, he's had a few seminars there. Yeah. And I think it's just easy for him to get around. That's where I met you, actually. Yeah, at, seminar. At, at the seminar there, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay, that's cool. Yeah, I, um, T and I went to one of his workshops last year. It was awesome. It was really cool. I think the, the coolest part of it was just being around him and hearing his stories. Not even necessarily the technical stuff we were doing on mobility. It was more just anecdotal stuff that he had from all of his years. Words of wisdom. Yeah. You know, cool stories about old jiu-jitsu famous people and strength conditioning stuff and, you know, and it's just, it's, an, it, it's one thing to learn from, you know, uh, someone who's experienced and young and, and that sort of thing, but it's another thing to learn from someone who's in their 60s. And well-travelled as well. Like, yeah. he's sought after different disciplines, has he not? Yeah, the stories are really cool. And I think a lot of, with Coach Steve is his philosophy, his approach to training, his approach to life. It's very uh, educational and entertaining. You know, there's always, yeah, always something new. Um, I kind of, like, half-joking every time I see him. Like, I'm, I say, man, Coach, you're looking younger than me. He's, like, you know, getting younger every time I see him. And I'm kind of getting older. It must be, like, something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, look, on that, I wanted to ask you, um, obviously, you're, you're running the Qigong workshop for us this Saturday. Yep. Uh, that's sold out here at the gym, which is awesome. And I'm super stoked we could get you in before you go back um, to wherever you're going home. Yeah, next. Shanghai. Shanghai Living next. in Shanghai now, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit about the, the relevance of the Qigong practice, uh, maybe like a super quick breakdown of what it is. And then, you know, just thinking our audience is mostly people who are training, strength and conditioning, mobility, CrossFit, gymnastics, movement stuff, and then a lot of jiu-jitsu people and combat athletes. So, yeah, maybe how you see it being relevant for, for people like that. Yeah, this, this is a pretty big topic. Uh, so, basically, uh, for people who don't know, uh, Qigong, it's actually a style of body-mind exercise. It's kind of like... Well, in India has yoga, so in China there's qigong. It's, uh, in general, it's a series of soft exercise where you coordinate your physical movements with your breath and uh, your mind. So it's a total kind of very rejuvenating kind of exercise. I think, I think it's very important that any hard training athlete or basically just anyone, even people stressing sitting in the office should practice. Because for myself, I started doing a lot of that as a part of my internal Chinese martial arts, it was just a part of the system which I had to learn as a kid. And with all the jiu-jitsu, you know, my, and all the teaching as well, my body and my mind started breaking down. And it was probably around like five years ago that I would just get really tired during the day in between teaching classes. I'd be falling asleep on the mat and I'd just feel like crap, like just lethargic, tired and slow and you just lie down and nothing would really help and you don't feel well. I actually went to see like a few doc like Western doctors in Australia and China and, and they do blood tests and everything and they told me everything was fine. But you know that something's you're wrong, right? You're within the normal ranges, yeah, they say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're, not, you're not dying yet, but subclinically, you know something's wrong, right? And so none of that helped. So I started to pick up a lot, um, 
to increase the amount of all the internal exercises that I did. And after a while with all of the uh, internal exercises, the Qigong and the meditation, I actually start to feel better. So when we train, and actually just not just training in everyday life, we are expending energy. We're like a battery, you know, humans. We're made of like, you know, we are a electricity charge. We're like a bunch of electricity. And when, every time we, you know, get stressed, work out hard, we're actually spending energy. And so Qigong and like meditation, the soft arts, they're really great for recharging. So what we say is that if you practice, if you train external exercises, you must also train internal exercises. And when you train internal exercises, you can forget about the external exercises. What that means is that if you're like, you know, training hard, like, you know, maybe like deadlifting, doing powerlifting, running marathons, doing jujitsu, how are you going to recover? Sit on the sofa with a tub of ice cream and watch TV? Yep. I mean, yeah, that works, but it's not optimal, right? That's not like a good process. What's wrong with that? Well, it's comfy, but you know, <laughs> if Qigong, you can actually recharge faster. But um, if it, it's like the balanced yin and yang. If you do a lot of external, you should also do the internal to recharge. It's like if you use your phone a lot, you could just plug it in at the end of the day. And the second part of the thing I just said, if you do internal exercise, you can forget about external exercises. It, basically, this, what it says is that if you do a lot of the internal exercises, you can actually not do a lot of the hard workouts and stay fit and healthy. Um, that's a traditional phrase. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think everyone should do some extent of general strength training. But the point is that in today's world, everyone is so focused on you know, being fitter, faster, stronger that they forget to balance out. You know, a lot of people, they feel tired, but they're in denial or they try to ignore it, try to push it through. We are, as athletes, as martial artists, we train to, you know, to be mentally tough and push it through. But you know, physiologically, there's only so far that you can push your body until it pushes back and says no. And then you get like adrenal fatigue and you start getting sick and your immune system starts breaking down. So the qigong and the breathing and the calming of your mind and centering, it's just, it's just a part of the package. It just helps you recover so you can come back stronger and perform better at your respective sports. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think like that sort of that explanation would resonate with everyone because like uh, we spoke about it before, but the amount of stimulation that we have in our lives now is just so constant and at such a rate that it's like, I think for a lot of people exercise and, and hard training is their, is their kind of, it, it often is their mindfulness practice in a way. It's the, it's the time when they get so focused on that one thing, whether it's a really intense workout or a really intense training session or role or whatever, that it blocks out all of the other shit that's going on in their yep. head. Um, but it also comes at a cost, right? There's, there's, there's obviously all of the physical side of it and the stress hormones that, that come along with that and that sort of a thing. So I think like, and this, you know, I did a, just by chance I did a meditation course last weekend. So I've been yep. playing around with that this week and I'm, I'm seeing the value in literally taking time out and stopping and, you know, using something to try and shut out all of the stuff in my mind and in my world, yeah, just for 20 minutes a day. Um, I'm seeing the value in that immensely. 
Yeah, so with the internal exercises, in the beginning, we're using physical movements with the breath and emptying the mind. It's kind of like a set structure to teach beginners how to coordinate body, mind, and your breath, and to relax. But after a while, what this does, the whole point is for you to forget the physical form after a while. So in your everyday life, whether you're walking, lying down, or resting, you maintain that relaxation and peace of mind that should carry with you after prolonged practice. It's like today, right, Joe, we had a pretty like, you know, good training session at Gracie Sydney, good sweat, and we like, you know, both went out for lunch. And because you trained so hard, right, you didn't really feel hungry because of the cortisol in your body. But I try to like be calm even when I train, I carry the internal exercises over when I do my jiu-jitsu and I was eating like a pig, I could finish my whole meal because I didn't have that cortisol spike in my body. Yeah. So you learn to just be calm in your everyday life. So it's, it's actually a very beneficial uh, thing to learn and if you can carry it into what you do every day. Yeah, that's like just to help people visualize that a bit. What do you weigh, Stanley? 65 kilos. 65? Soaking wet, yeah. And I'm about, 80, I'm about 84. I think 84 and a half today when I checked. So yeah, like we had a pretty heavy session. We rolled together. I think you kicked my ass a couple of times no, today. No, no, it's impossible to kick your ass. You can yeah. pick me up with one finger. <laughs> <laughs> Which finger? And, um, and then after training, yeah, we went and got some food and then I had like a quarter of a chicken and some salad and then Stanley decided to kick my ass once again and he ordered half a chicken and extra salad. The box was twice the size. And it's true, we came back to the gym here, we sat down to eat and I think I ate about half of my food and then I was like, fuck, I gotta take a fucking rest. This eating is like another <laughs> workout. Right. Yeah, yeah, I was really, yeah, just couldn't, didn't wanna eat, you know? Wanted to fuel myself because I'd been training. And a little bit, it, it kind of exemplifies the attitude a little bit where I'm like, no, no, I trained hard, I trained hard yesterday, I've been training hard this week, I need to eat. So I'm kind of forcing myself. Whereas if I actually really listened to my body, my body was saying, don't eat right now. I don't, I don't want food, you know? In any case, yeah, I I think, ate. I think a lot of people who train hard, like even myself, when I was a bit younger, just train like a beast. And then afterwards, you just, yeah, you just can't eat. And you probably can't sleep either if you train at late at night. That's why it's important, you know, as I was saying before, you know, to learn to how to keep calm, calm your mind all the time. And it's your breath. Because the breath is actually the connection between the physical body and the mind. And that's a lot, that a lot of people, that's the missing link. They somehow can't connect them, but you know, if you can learn to regulate your breath, that's the connection. They can be calm and it's always a challenge, you know, in a, especially if in a big city. You know, I live in Shanghai. Um, the, the, of, the official population is about 20 something million, but the unofficial, Fuck. with all the like, you know, kind of unregistered people coming in, is 30 million. That's what they say. Just in my suburbs, 5 million people. So you need to be at a really high level of you know, having mental peace to actually not get pissed off every day. To deal with that amount yeah. of density. Yeah, so I think in the big city, you know, like in Sydney, you know, for Australia, it's a big city, right? We all need that. How to stay calm, how to not overthink. Yeah. That's a big challenge for modern people now. Yeah, I feel you, for sure. Mm. Um, I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about like practicing Qigong, like what does it kind of look like? Like, is it is it like where you, like a kung fu place where you go there? There's a sifu, they and you have a class. You warm up and they instruct you on. You do breathing exercises at the beginning, maybe, or 
what's kind of like the format and then... Okay, yeah, so um, I think it's a two-part question. I think the first part when you said what it looks like and the second yeah. part is basically asking how is the class structured. So it's hard to say what it looks like because um, Qigong is actually a generic term. Mm. It's, just a, it's like kind of saying, I don't know, um, sports. There's so many different types of sports, right? Yeah, so tr the traditional word for Qigong is actually Daoying. Okay, Qigong is kind of like a modern term, which kind of people use even in China now in the West. And it actually encompasses hundreds and hundreds of styles and sub-styles. So it's actually very broad. And a lot of styles can be quite different from one another. So some styles, you know, you'd be more very relaxed, very Tai Chi-like. Some styles are very hard where they use a lot of muscular tension and hard breathing. So everything from physical movements, you know, mm. soft physical movements to harder movements to still seated meditation, it all kind of falls under the umbrella of Qigong. Yeah, so sure. it's hard to describe, but... So it's like, it's like saying Kung Fu or it's like saying martial yeah, arts. Yeah, it's kind of like yeah. saying martial arts. Yeah. It's, like, it's uh, a category, yeah, right. Yeah. But, it, but uh, in a nutshell, you can basically um, all kind of generalize this as it's kind of like a body-mind exercise where mm. uh, maybe except for the for Ha Qigong, Ha Qigong is a style where you see like Shaolin monks do where they break sticks yeah. over their body and stuff. But mm. most styles, like, you know, especially for Chinese, traditional Chinese medicine, oriented Qigong is usually uh, based on relaxation of the physical body and the mind. So what it does is that, yeah, it allows, you know, the blood, what we call vital energy to flow, opens up the tissues, etc. Um, yeah, so it really depends on what style you do. And in terms of class structure, in the West, what I'm trying to bring now is that I'll, I'll follow more of a, like a Western model to teach especially in seminars, I'm just going to give a lot of information and try to demystify it. A lot of this stuff has been like mystified. By I guess that's why I'm asking because yeah. I, I kind of can't grasp what it, what it looks like. Yeah, Yeah. so um, over in the West, so I would do like a, what more people are used to. I give a lot of information like, you know, over like a seminar of like three, four, five hours and the students can take notes and... Um, and th hopefully different students will pick up stuff that are relevant to them. But traditionally, how we learn, whether it's Qigong, martial arts, or medicine, or different stuff, is actually very different. It's a very slow process. The traditional way of learning is that you follow a teacher, a master, and basically, if the teacher's in a good mood, he'll teach you something. If it doesn't feel like it, you can rock up, and he's not gonna teach you anything. And so it's basically like that. So it's no traditional, Training. There's no structure. There's no curriculum. It's like freestyle. What's the reason for that? Is, I, I think it's kind of culturally as well. Yeah. Culturally, I think a lot. Of, uh, some of it's maybe like in you know, the teachers seeing whether you're serious. You know. Yeah, yeah. Whether you you have a good character, whether you have the patience and discipline to train. So when you first come, he's not just going to show you everything, and then you could piss off. I've, and I've seen this character yeah. in lots of movies. Yeah, that, so that, that basically, that played out. that's how I got brought up training, the traditional method. Mm. But yeah, but in the West, it's going to be different because over here, if you do it, yeah, no one's going to show up, right? So yeah, over here, it's more like, yeah, it's kind of teaching the material of the traditional exercises, but more in a Western friendly format. Yeah, sure. You won't be walking out mid-workshop 
saying, fuck this. I'm not teaching anything today. Well, yeah, the traditional way is, okay, where's my tea? Someone's going to pour me tea, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's going to fold my jacket, leave in the corner, and when I leave, someone better get it for me. Yeah. Yeah. This tea's cold. Yeah, that's the traditional way. That's cool, man. I remember I read a, uh, I read a story, I heard a story years ago about when um, Jackie Chan started training. You probably know more about this than I do, but I think he came from the Beijing School of Performing Arts. Uh, yeah, he, he's from Hong, he's in Hong Kong. Yeah, but he did the Chinese uh, performing arts, like the opera. Yeah, Chinese opera. But there was a there was a school, a particular school that he came from, and then I know like Samo Hung also went there. Yeah. Um, but like on there, it's you know it's quite hard to get into, and when you get in, you're there for a few years. It's a pretty serious commitment. But on their first day, the new recruits like him and Samo Hung and a, and a few other people got taken into a room this is this is the story the way it goes and there was a table and a chair and then the teacher said to them i want you to balance the chair on the table but just on one leg and then i want you to do a handstand on the chair and he said don't come out until you've done that and left these kids in this room (laughs) to try and figure it out and obviously they were never going to be able to fucking do it but it was that same thing it's like this is the this is the task go and do the task and just apply yourself because i said so yeah you know, and I guess that was a bit of a same kind of setting the standard for this is how your education is going to be here. Yeah, actually, the Chinese uh, opera schools, especially back in the old days, man, it's brutal. It's probably the hardest, one of the hardest physical training that you get. These kids go in when they're young, they basically get taken away from the family. Maybe the family is poor or something, and they send it to the opera school so they can learn a trade. And yeah, these kids get like basically in the West, you call it physical abuse. They get. <laughs> twisted like by force into like different positions they're crying and they get yelled at they have to do it and yeah if you make it through and if you're not broken yeah you probably be quite good but a lot of them actually if they don't make it and they come into real world you know they probably have a hard time but the training there yeah it's, it's just brutal you just won't fly in the west i remember yeah i did see the uh, documentary on uh, chinese gymnastic schools yeah and it's, it was incredible. Yeah, same thing. It's, it's abuse, but it produces amazing results for those that can withstand the, the you know, the torturous style of, of, of being taught. Yeah, for a small percentage, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, like, this... Produces a lot of waste. That's good and bad. I mean, like, the traditional training, traditional styles, like, for example, when I was learning one of my styles, basically, I did one technique for the whole year, every day. Every morning, I'll wake up in the park, 6 a.m., doing one move. It's kind of like going to a boxing gym and just doing one jab in the mirror every day for one year. That's what I did, and apparently, I had the easy way because my teacher did it for three years. I only did it for one. Jesus. But um, I guess, like, if you learn like that, if you can make it, and if you are kind of... If you have the sense to absorb it and to break it down, you can actually learn quite well. But for the average person, yeah, you just can't really teach on this nowadays because, yeah, you just, you just can't teach a broad population, I should say. Maybe just only a very few, like elite few that would actually go through that kind of training. That brings me to something I want to ask you about uh, is your work with, um, you, you train some counter-terrorism, counter-terrorist type operations? Yeah, so in Shanghai, um, I work with a lot of the uh, elite counter-terrorism police units. Um, so I basically work with the Shanghai SWAT team, uh, the Beijing Public Security, the 
uh, people's armed police counterterrorism and the right police, one of the big uh, prison systems there. Um, yeah, actually, they're very open-minded and keen to learn, and actually, they're getting, getting into the jiu-jitsu. And, um, yeah, so a lot of, when these cops actually travel to, like, America to do courses and stuff, like, the American counterparts are all surprised that these guys actually know jiu-jitsu because they thought that these guys come out of China. They'd be doing some weird kung fu stuff. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite fun. Um, yeah, they're pretty keen to learn, and recently I've set up the uh, gi program for them as well. Before that, we were doing like more kind of like uh, jujitsu combative stuff where we're doing like, you know, clinch, takedown on the ground, but then we flick them over and do the handcuffing and everything. Nice. That stuff's cool. Do you, uh, being that they are, I suppose, could you say that they're hard, you know, tougher individuals by the nature of their job, perhaps in terms of a population when compared to maybe the people that are walking into your academy? Do you have a different approach with those guys? Do you use more of a traditional approach or are you a little bit more demanding as a coach or a teacher? Um, I actually teach, the way I teach, um, because it's kind of jujitsu, it's not the traditional way. I, I actually run it like I do, how I run a class or seminar for my jujitsu in terms of format and uh, presentation, but it's just that the stuff I teach is more specific for them. You know, the material is more specific to what they do. And the stuff I teach in jiu-jitsu is more for, like, the normal day people. Yeah, okay. I get that. Photo Philly, you have a bit of a background in kung fu, right? A, a brief background. Uh, probably a little bit, like, not quite as brief as... Like, yeah, talk a little bit about it. Because I want to know what... Um, I mentioned Choi Lee Fat to, to, uh, to Stanley the other day, and he okay. was familiar with it. It, yeah, it was a long time ago, so it's some foggy memories. Uh, yeah, I did trolley fight after my um, in Chinatown. Uh, my elder siblings, my brothers, my older brothers, maybe one of my sisters did it. I uh, come from a big family, and uh, uh, they got into it through a friend, and eventually, one after another, we all spent some time there at the school. Um, when I look back at it now, I'm grateful for the time that I spent there. And there was a long time I didn't do any martial arts, and it's only recently that I've reconnected. Uh, a lot thanks to Joe, um, but I'm glad of, I'm, I'm grateful for the time that I had. I did spend then. Um, yeah, it was it was a great school. I still catch up with some of the guys like off on Facebook and stuff, or around Chinese New Year. I go down and check out the festival and stuff. But what do you know about it? Yeah, Chaifat's actually a pretty cool style. Um, it was pretty popular in Hong Kong back in the day. It's one of the uh, more popular styles. Mm. You know, it's very beautiful with wide sweeping circular movements. Mm. Yeah, it's a southern Chinese martial arts uh, with a northern influence. So that's why it's more of a long range martial art. Um, yeah, in Hong Kong, uh, it was a style that was kind of popular with a lot of uh, like kind of gangsters, a lot of the blue collar workers, I should say. And within Chinese martial arts, yeah, that's kind of like a more aggressive style. And a lot of the people back in the day doing like the full contact tournaments, they would do trolley fight. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I, yeah, I think it's very nice. The, like form, the forms are beautiful. Tournaments like the Kumite in uh, Bloodsport? Yes, yeah, so that's the non-movie version. But yeah, they actually had like proper like, you know, not, there's illegal stuff like they're too underground, but it's just a bro, right? It's not like in the movies. Yeah, it's just yeah. like a full, it's like kickboxing and stuff. But you know, back in the 70s and stuff, they would have this like contest. And 
yeah, a lot of the trial effort people would do well. Uh, yeah, I think it's a very beautiful style. It's still a form-based system, like most traditional styles. Mm. But I think like it, a lot of, through all of his forms and his weapons work, I think it preserves a lot of the you know nice part of the art side of the Chinese martial arts. Yeah, they had a qigong arm of the school, um, and they would. I remember that all the older guys and all the teachers would always be telling us, "You got to go and do qigong. You got to go and do it." But none of us ever did it. Yeah, like, but yeah, I, I guess when you're younger, you just want to fight, right? Exactly. Like well, I was like a young teenager. Like built before I was, it was like thirteen through sixteen, maybe something like that. Yeah, I guess when you're older, yeah, you start to more appreciate more. Or if you're oh, young, yeah, absolutely. young people who do that, those guys are the smart guys. They're the ones who are going to last and train for a lifetime. Yeah. All the friends will be broken when they're like 40, 50, they won't be training anymore. Yeah, I, I'm dying to jump into a chicken class now, of course. Yeah, soon. years later. Two days, two days time. You're going to learn a lot of things. He's not actually going to be here. I'm not. I've th- been sitting here thinking about that. Man, you have to come to China and train with me then. Uh-huh. So be it. <laughs> That'd be sick. That'd be sick. Yeah, we're actually talking about doing an event together, Jungle Brothers and Stanley, something next time you're here. Um, so, yeah, for those that miss out this Saturday, there will be a follow-up event. Maybe it's something bigger than, than, than the half-day workshop on Saturday. Maybe it's the same yeah. again. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. But I think we should definitely – the demand is there. People are very interested, and the event sold out very quick. Yeah, we, should, we can do a camp of stuff. And, um, and for the people who attended this time, you know, I have more advanced – you know, stages and variations that I can teach people who learns the fundamentals. Actually, I've got a lot to show. It's just that, yeah, piece of limited time and energy, you know. I can only show so much. But yeah, there's a lot of different things. It depends how far you, can, you want to take it. If you just want to like learn some basic uh, techniques, you can do it as active recovery on your off day, you know. Maybe that's all you need. But if you're interested, you want to go deeper, you know, there's a lot more. Well, know. I'll tell you how deep I want to go. This week on Facebook, where I get the majority of my information from, I saw a video of uh, an old-ish Chinese man practicing, I believe it was the iron, iron crutch, balls okay, of steel yeah, type yeah, routine. Okay. Did, did you look it up? Actually, no, because you had mentioned this to me. Yeah. And then I turned on fucking Facebook, and this is AI, people, artificial intelligence, it presented me a video of, a, of this dude who practices Iron Crutch. He's wearing like the gown and he's there in like a horse stance and he's got his, his partner kicking him in the nuts as hard as he can. No, I saw the same thing this week. Yeah, it's, it's going a bit viral. And then, and then it's like it's got that and then there's a brick and he's then holding the, the brick. Then log. Yeah, and he's whacking it straight into his nuts. Didn't even flinch. This is where I want to get to. How long is it going to take? Oh, man, it's going to take a couple of days. But, man, it's, it's funny that we talked about the other day and you, and you saw it on Facebook. Yeah, that's mind science for you. Yeah, so that kind of stuff, is, it's like a feat. It's like a show, you know. Yeah, you, you know, bricks on your nuts, that's unnecessary. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love the uh, so-called iron crutch. It's actually, from a Chinese medicine perspective, it's, it's just another exercise. It's just got glamorized. So it's basically, um, you don't have serious exercises, like, you know, trying to make it not sound dodgy. It's like a, it's like a massa- series of like massage manipulations for your genitals, just to see, stimulate it, uh, to get the hormones going, you know, to make sure there are no blockages. And the part that gets a lot of attention is like, you know, you hang, you hang a weight off your genitals. Uh, yeah, so 
That's kind of it. like stimulates. Actually, it's it's one of the greatest uh, natural testosterone boosters that no one knows about. This is the secret. Yeah, that's the secret. Really? Yeah. Hanging so you, weight off. Yeah. So like, yeah, you hang, you hang so a weight off. You know, maybe six to eight minutes. Uh, yeah. So it stimulates the glands and everything and. Okay, so this, this one's gone out. This is, this is going to be the next JB movement challenge. <laughs> I want to know where do I tie onto? Is it at the base? Well, of actually, the whole actually, actually, that's a female version of this. Wow. Um, it, it's actually like come in the West, it's like, a, it's like a Kegel exercise, right? Where after women have kids, like they hold the perfect floor. So yeah. the women variation is that traditionally that's a jade egg, and you tie a string through it, and you put the jade egg up your vagina, and you do it like a pelvic. Like squeeze, contraction. Yeah, contraction. You hold it. And you can hang weights of it, and it helps. It's, it's just like doing like a Kegel exercises with like a static weights, contraction. Weights, yeah, yeah. So for men, it's oh, like you tie. Awesome. Don't use rope. You, you lose your package. Basically, cut off circulation. Use a silk. You use silk. So it's ah. in cut. Yeah, that's the secret. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you tie around the base of your penis and your uh, and your balls. So that shouldn't like, yeah. be a secret. And you uh, and you tie it, and then you can hang. Yeah, whatever. But we'll post a photo yeah. in the show notes. Uh, yeah, I'll show you to do it, and then we can post you. <laughs> how much how much weight would one start with? You'd start with around one point two five to one point five kilos. Okay, okay, which is quite light. Actually, you'd be surprised. You can actually hold more than you think. Yeah, right. Yeah, so the effective weight, like effective dose, is probably around five kilos. You can work your way up from there, but five kilos is kind of like a good, you know, when it starts to stimulate, you know, the organs and everything. If it's too light, you know, it's like if you take some medicine, if you don't reach the effective dose, it's not going to work. This is fucking awesome. Yeah, I couldn't believe after we'd had the conversation post-training earlier in the week and you told me about the iron crutch training that you'd been doing and then this video popped up on my Facebook and then all my friends shared it and I got tagged in it and it was a whole viral thing and I was like, man, the universe just knows. Oh, come on, you just got to tell everyone that I've been doing it now. <laughs> yeah, actually, actually, um, I'm just sending you my... Uh, testosterone report for maybe a couple of months ago. You know, I'm, I'm like 40 this year, Asian man, 40. And my testosterone report, yeah, came back actually over the, over the upper range. And yeah. And that's and just, higher than and, it and has been from, previously? Um, because I've been doing a lot of exercises, this kind of exercises, it's been like on the high end, but yeah, so, but I've been focusing a lot on this kind of exercises and man, you actually went off the, the, the range, which, it shows that this stuff works and I don't take any kind of like external substance, but just these natural exercises. That is outstanding. Yeah, the th thing is I don't, yeah, in Australia, I'm not sure legally whether this stuff can be taught. You know, you don't get sued. I mean, you see people doing crazy shit in some CrossFit gyms. Actually, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's more accepted though. Yeah, that's right. I think Joe's gonna take this on. I am definitely gonna try this. Get scientific with it. Yeah, maybe do a little like, uh, I don't know, maybe like, little blog thing about it, follow my journey towards testosterone. Forget TRT. Yeah. That's yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, it's good for like, in the West, you get a lot of people with prostate problems as well. That's yeah. actually very good for like, you know, improve, improving the symptoms of like, you know, bad prostate and yeah, other, other like related problems. Yeah, okay, the prostate thing's big here. What do we, what do you know about like, how that works, like the mechanism of the pulling, pulling down and the stimulation like on like a kind of biological level? Well, in Chinese medicine, like, you know, the penis is actually like, a, if you pull down, it's like a tendon. That's like, that's uh, supposed to be uh, quite jing, 
it's basically translates as loosely as kind of like the intersection of tendons. So for health benefits, you know, you're actually stimulating, you know, a lot of the, it's like a pressure point, the nerve centers come together. A point there is where the love, the tendons come together. And when you pull down as well, there's a counterbalance. Because when you're pulling down the weight, your internal organs must lift up to counterbalance. So it's actually good to stop, you know, you've seen people with like big bellies, but their organs are sagging down. So it's very good to like, you know, maintain the health of internal organs as well. And for more, kind of like more of an understandable uh, physiological point of view, it's like when you want to work out your bicep or legs, you have to work it, right? You have to lift weights or do isometrics. But if you want, you know, healthy, you know, sexual organs, you have to, you know, exercise it as well. Work it. It sounds weird. Yeah, it sounds weird, but it's kind of, it's the same, it's the same, right? You don't expect to work your biceps or your lats by not doing anything. So if you're massaging it and using like, you know, different techniques of like, you know, pulling and etc., you know, you're working it out and you get stronger. So yeah, you could use this as an accessory piece to just having sexual intercourse. Yeah, well, yeah, a yeah, week. yeah, actually. It could be a little bit of active warm up. Oh yeah, for Joe, it's probably about <laughs> 10 times, but. Uh, <laughs> actually in, uh, in Taoism, which is what traditional Chinese medicine was based on, uh, excessive sexual intercourse is actually not a workout. It's actually depleting your energy. Mm. Like a man like yourself, you should be shooting morning, night and afternoon. That's actually bad for you. So don't do it. So w what sort of frequency then? How often should he be? That's, a, that, that's actually... Um, Unloading. That's actually, a, yeah, that's actually a formula. It's kind of set. So I think everyone's different. You can really apply the formula. But if you're interested, I can send you the formula. You can post it for the send audience the to look at. Yeah, I want to put in the show notes. Yeah. I want to let people know about this stuff. It's important. Yeah, so, uh, so one of the famous uh, Taoist doctors, his surname is Sun, uh, hundreds of years ago, I mean, he's dead now, it's like an, it's from the ancient times, famous Taoist doctor. So uh, for him, he, was, he would ejaculate once every uh, hundred rounds of sexual intercourse. So Jesus. if he had sex every day, so it'd be once every three months. And he lived till like a hundred or something. Fuck, and, and he healthy. attributes a lot of it to healthy. that practice. Yeah, because you're depleting vital energy. It's, it's like, you know, any man knows, right? After like you have sex, you're pretty tired. You know, you're probably going to sleep and yeah, you're not going to be lifting weights after that. Yeah, no, it's over. Yeah. So it's got the same thing. You, are, you, you don't want to deplete your energy too much. So keep yourself strong, yeah. yeah don't send, us, send us that formula. Yeah, send the formula. <laughs> yeah. Formula's going out. Yeah, and like can apply it to yourself too. Then it will be the, uh, I don't know what we'll call it, but like the, some kind of abstinence challenge. Still with sex, but just without, you know. Yeah, it's got like, it's like yeah, everything in moderation, I guess. You just can't go too yeah, much on the other side. Yeah you, need, yeah, you need some balance. But nowadays, people just go too extreme, you know? Yeah, I feel you. Oh, I got, I got another couple of questions I want to throw at you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you with these ones kind of quick. Um, we're coming to the end, of the, the end of the show. I wanted to ask you uh, what is, if you had to choose the number one secret of Chinese medicine, uh, you know, and this involves breath practice, meditation, traditional arts, internal arts, um, herbal medicine, what's the number one thing that the West is missing out on? What do you think is the best thing that, that traditional Chinese practices offers? I think it's the concept of the balance of the yin and yang. Because nowadays, people tend to be extremists, like I was saying like before. 
any time you go to an extreme, like, special, like for example, in your body, if your energy has an imbalance, you know, your organs has, has an imbalance, that's when it causes illness and premature aging. So I think the concept of balance. And uh, of the five branches of Chinese medicine, I think Daoying, or what we call Qigong, you know, I think it's very valuable because the other modalities of Chinese medicine, like acupuncture, moxibustion, um, herbal medicine, all of that, it takes an external practitioner to do it on you. But what we do here for the uh, internal exercises, you can do it yourself. And so you don't need someone to treat you. You can treat yourself depending on how you feel. So I think that's something that you know, people miss out on. Nice. Next question. What do you think is the number one biggest piece of bullshit from traditional Chinese arts? The thing that you have come to realize that's just total fantastical nonsense. Man, I, th I just think of the traditional arts, um, it's the form-based arts, yeah, it's not practical. It's just not practical for a real live and rehearsed situation. You know, some people will get pissed off, but hey, you know, until I see a traditional Chinese martial artist that's pure and, is, and he's winning fights in the UFC, then I'm to change my mind. But until that day, you know, I think from a combative point of view, they're like more practical arts. Solid, solid. That's a very contrasting opinion, but I, I, I think it's, uh, it's very truthful. Yeah, but he's saying yeah, it's from a combative perspective, but from a cultural perspective. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. yeah. From a cultural perspective, it's like a museum. You walk into a museum; it's beautiful to look at. And some people like to collect antiques, and I think that's what these arts are good for. Some people still like it; it's still relevant. But from a combative, practical perspective, yeah. for like the normal person, you know, there's shorter, more time efficient ways to learn, you know. So if you're doing some form of wushu or something that is form-based, don't argue that you could knock so-and-so out type thing. Yeah, no, people, there's still people who think that there's a 80-year-old man living in the mountains, a hermit that has super kung fu skills yeah, yeah. that can beat up 20 people. You know, in the old days, people think that. I think nowadays, people still, some people still believe that. And it's like, come on, you know, it's 2017. I've seen those videos on YouTube. Yeah, it's not like that of anymore. The old man. Yeah. And people just run at him and <laughs> fly off, just deflect. It's the best. Yes, yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> at this time and age, there's some people who argue that, you know, it's that real. stuff exists. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, but, but coming from that background, I can see why a lot of people kind of fall into that mental trap. Because what you do is very nice. You practice it by yourself. You feel powerful. You feel fast. And it's easy to think that, you know, there's an opponent in front of you. You can kick his ass. But yeah, but if you have combat experience, yeah, that's not the case. So true, so true. Uh, last one is, what do you think is the most valuable thing that the, that the East could take from Western forms of practice? So looking at, you know, the, the, the standard kind of, the stuff that we do here in Australia and in Western society, strength conditioning and that real kind of measured and, you know, um, quantifiable type stuff. Yeah, so, yeah, I think what, yeah, what's, what kind of what you just said, um, I think there were polar opposites. I think what the East can learn as well is that a lot of times in the West, you know, the exercise and stuff, like the 
like the quantifiable stuff, you know, the stuff that's very practical, straightforward, you know, no bullshit, there's no mystery, and there's no running, beating around the bush, you know, you get straight to the point, you know, if someone asks a question, you need to answer it the best way you can, and you're going to like have, you know, explanations and references for the person. A lot of times in the traditional training, you ask the teacher, if he doesn't know, he's not going to admit it. And even if he knows, he might not tell you, he might tell a story and you're thinking, okay, what the hell was that? You know? So I think that's the stuff that the East can learn as well from the West. You just have to combine it. It's the yin and yang from both sides. People forget. It's a philosophy that can apply to you know, any kind of martial arts, sports, how you live, how you interact act with people. I think that's very important. Very cool. Very cool. Brother Stanley, where can, uh, where can people get in touch with you and where can they find, uh, you know, where can they, they talk to you or find information about what you're doing and upcoming events? Yeah, so uh, I have a new website because I'm relocating to Australia. I want to spread a lot of the internal exercises to the West. Uh, so my website is uh, www.thamsystem, so it's T-H-E, Tam, as in Tim Tam, T-A-M, and system.com. And on Facebook, you can find me on uh, Tao, T-A-O, of anti-aging and mobility. And if you're in Shanghai, yeah, so you want to do jiu-jitsu, it's just uh, shanghaibjj.com. Nice. Awesome. We're going to put a link to, to your sites as well and to your, your jiu-jitsu club in the, in the show notes up on our Facebook page. Um, man, thank you awesome. so much for making the time for us today. Thanks yeah. for having me. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Time. Awesome, my bro. Looking forward to Saturday. Yeah, man, me too. Ah, I'll come and track you down. I'll find you all. Are you moving to Sydney when you move to Australia? Maybe Brisbane or Adelaide. Okay. Yeah. Well, not Smaller far. Smaller city. Yeah, not far, yeah. Not at all. Travel for that sort of wisdom, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I can, I'm all, I'll always be down as well. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Cool. Thank you, man. Thank you. All right. Thank you, guys. Over and out. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that episode eight with Stanley Tam. What a legend. Yeah, killer guy. Heaps of cool stories. Uh, I think we're going to have to get him back on because there's a lot of stuff, the Chinese prison cell stories that he wasn't able to go into today. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we'll have him on the podcast again in the future. Um, hell, he's moving to Sydney. So we'll have him in the gym doing more workshops in the future too. Um, so... Ah, Joe, you got something to say? Yeah, guys. Hey, if you haven't already done so, make sure you jump onto junglebrothers.com. Download our epic ebook on mastering your handstand. Five reasons you are still struggling. Why you suck. Uh, but don't suck for too long. Get the, uh, get the ebook. You can also sign up for our famous 5-Minute Friday email there too. It's got all the coolest shit that, that we're, that's going on with us. Um, and hey, if you're interested in starting your own strength and movement journey, whether you're Sydney-based or you're living afar, Get in touch. There's a free consult we offer for, for people such as yourself. You can book it in on the webpage. Uh, one of us, JBs, will be directly in touch to start your journey towards making serious gains. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back with you shortly. Good night, listeners. See you.